welcome to Green and Red, Scrappy Politics for Scrappy People, a regular podcast on radical, environmental and anti-capitalist politics, brought to you by Bob Bazanka and Scott Parker. And hello, it's been a while, but uh, we're back and we haven't done the weekend review for a couple of weeks. So we thought we'd come on today and do a Halloween show because it's a scary place in the world. And as you can see, my co-host today, uh, Scott's away. So I was able to get uh, Donald Trump on. No other media will take him, but Green and Red is open-minded. So welcome uh, to the Green and Red podcast, uh, ex-president uh, Trump. So it's, it's good to have you here. It's the best podcast ever. Most amazing podcast ever. It's beautiful. We have the most beautiful words of any podcast, too. Um, we obviously the, want to the thank video you. is the most amazing video I've ever seen. <laughs> we obviously want to thank all of you for watching and, and ex-president Trump for coming in. And don't forget, we have postcards, green and red, and we have some great shows. Scott, who's not here right now, and I both got this book this week. It's a new book about Johnny Cash by Michael Stewart Foley, who's a friend of ours, and we're going to have him on before too long. And dropping soon um, is an interview with uh, Sarah Gubadara, who is the head of a group called Legacies of War, which talks about trying to find undetonated bombs in Laos, which uh, the U.S. war ended like almost 50 years ago, and there are still 80 million undetonated bomblets in Laos. So we got a lot going on. But today we're going to scare you with tales from campus. Uh, as a professor, this is something that's been important to me, and it's something that's in the news quite a bit. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what life is like on campus. And I know, President Trump, I know that you, uh, you're you a big advocate of shutting down free speech on campus and getting rid of radical Marxist professors, right? Yeah, unless it's, unless it's on, at Trump University. And if it's at, when it's at Trump University, then, like, you know, free speech reigns supreme. Is it possible for me to get an honorary degree from Trump University? Absolutely. You just have to make a really generous donation to my online Trump University GoFundMe. <laughs> All right. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about campuses. And I'm a professor at the University of Houston. And before the semester started, it's the first time they've been live for over a year because of COVID. And before the semester started, the provost sent out a, a, a directive uh, saying that um, we could not make any rules regarding masks or vaccines, and we were not even allowed to ask students if they, uh, uh, or make students wear masks or ask them about vaccines, which I find ironic, right? They just dumped tens of millions of dollars, many hundreds of millions of dollars into STEM, right? To, to study science and technology, and yet we're not allowed to talk about pathogens and natural, the natural world and antibiotics and, and stuff like that. And of course, there's a free speech issue too. But this is pretty consistent, I think, with what's happening on campus. Now, to be clear, before we start this, this is clearly an issue that is more pertinent to the right. The right uh, goes after professors, goes after teachers here in Texas. They're banning books like crazy. Uh, there are anti-BDS laws. I think it's been thrown out, but for a while, if you had a speaker come into the University of Houston, that person had to sign a waiver saying that uh, he or she would never support any kind of uh, boycott or sanctions against Israel, right? So uh, it's clearly been a big issue, but it's also, it's also an issue where they're rightfully banning critical race theory. 
that well critical race theory is yeah exactly and that's the the guys that in texas now they've just banned two books that were written for seventh graders i don't even know if that's young adult fiction but uh based on crit- seventh graders are, are learning critical race theory according to the crazy batshit taliban of texas but um but it is an issue on the left even though i think a lot of people on the left deny it um and it's not nearly as bad as it's on the right but it's 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 not right and I think radical leftists and Marxists and anarchists should support free expression. Now, that doesn't mean you can't punch Richard Spencer in the mouth. There's, you know, that's that's legit. But um, at the same time, I think we're going to we're going to so we're going to talk about a few cases here that I think have gotten some people worked up and, uh, you know, probably will get uh, some of our listeners upset. But that's kind of what we're here for. We're trying to jolt you. And it's Halloween. So we're trying to scare you. And I'm getting kind of scared just looking at this orange thing next to me. I'm glad I'm far away. He's in the Bay Area and I'm in Texas because if, if he was nearby, it would be really kind of terrifying. I think there's a, a bad thing. It is very terrifying for me to fly into the Bay Area with all the, with all the you know, all the snowflake liberals and, and, and radical socialists that, that overrun this place. Snowflake. Texas is trying to get rid of 850 books. Who's the snowflakes, right? That's one of the, the great irons. But there are leftists and liberal snowflakes. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today and, and hopefully jolt people and maybe even get somebody angry or scared on Halloween. Um, but a case that's been uh, talked about a lot lately occurred at the University of Michigan. There is a really pretty well-known composer named Bright Shang, who is a musician and a professor. And um, he is a survivor of the Cultural Revolution, which, you know, is kind of a big deal. Now, there's some repression for you, right? Uh, the Red Guard running around, uh, uh, according to the Republicans, that's what the Democrats are today, right? They're having a cultural revolution under the Red Guard. But uh, this guy, which reminds me, in the, in the 1970s, the Cincinnati Reds were called the Big Red Machine. And, uh, you know, they won two World Series in a row. And, and that, uh, the year after the, the second one, a pitcher from the Boston Red Sox, Bill Lee, who was flaky, he used to put weed on his pancakes, uh, said he was going to go to China in the offseason because he wanted to see the real Big Red Machine. So I always enjoy that. You know, but, but um, all this talk about China is just scaring me too much. I think I'm going to just have to drop off. I'll, okay. I'll catch up with you later. Well, we're going to try to see if we can patch uh, uh, Scott back in. Okay. So uh, because, oh, thankfully, you have no idea what I just went through. Um, it's uh, it was it was really terrifying. But uh, I guess Trump had a fundraiser. Maybe he and Lauren Boebert are going uh, uh, quail hunting with uh, Dick Cheney and uh who was the guy he shot in the face? I forget. But yeah, I think it was he shot a guy in the he shot a guy in the face. He shot a guy in the face. Yeah. And the Cheneys are now the reasonable face of the Republican Party. Well, they're you know, the latest latest part of the resistance, right? I never thought like my and you know in in my lifetime I thought you don't fuck with a Cheney. That's like messing with the mafia, right? And and that's how screwed up these people are. That the Cheneys are fair game. At any rate. But Bright Shen, uh, on September 10th, he was talk- teaching a class about how you take and adapt something from the stage and you put it into a movie, right? He showed a scene, he showed a scene from Othello, Shakespeare, right? 1965, starring uh, Lawrence Olivier, one of the most famous actors ever. Olivier played Othello in blackface. So we already, we already know what's coming, right? Blackface is obviously insensitive. We don't advocate that. Uh, but he showed this. And of course, um, things have happened since then. He invaded the safe space of students. And one freshman said, I was stunned in such a school that preaches diversity and making sure they understand the history of POC. 
I was shocked that Shang would show something like this and it's something that's supposed to be a safe space, all right? Um, and I think something that, that I'm, I'm, not, I'm only speaking for myself here, not for Scott, because on topics like this, I don't want to get anybody else in trouble, but um, we've talked a lot about how dangerous the world is and how dangerous my previous guest was. And, you know, there are people who call him a fascist and talk about Nazis and stormtroopers and coups and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> if you believe that, or if you, even if you just believe they're, they're kind of crazy and dangerous, um, you need to take them on. And it's kind of hard to go hard scrabble against people and people in the streets if you're going to be offended and demand a safe space from a movie that's 55 years old, right? Um, and so Bright Chang's class was canceled and I'm not sure if he's teaching or not now, but this is a, 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 not a good trend. It's, it's, you know, if people don't like something, then, you know, have a debate on it, have a discussion on it. But, but the reality is that that's the way movies were done and in 1965 and you know that would to me be an occasion for like a really good discussion about hollywood about race about tropes you know however you want to make it but to simply ban it and get a professor in trouble for it is is kind of frightening i think and i know that uh you know the world is kind of heading in that direction in a lot of ways and and again this doesn't this pales in comparison to what the right wing is doing you know on issues like bds or banning books or critical race theory but it's a bad look. And it's also gives, you know, remember when we had Noam Chomsky and he said, this stuff's a gift to the right. And, and I think it is because it's, it's preposterous. Yeah. Um, do you have any? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think just the important thing is, I think part of this is just the way some of our media and digital media culture has evolved, but it's, it's, it's much easier to like spend a lot of time being upset about, about things like this while there's still, you know, there's actually, you know, police are gunning down black people in the streets. And like, to be fair, you know, millions of people hit the streets on that last year. Yeah. But, uh, but like, you know, Twitter, you know, clicking on Twitter is actually not the most effective way to, you know, kind of like push for change. And I think it's, I think it's honestly, you know, we talk about this a lot. It's part of the reason that the, the, that the right is so easily just like mowing over the, the Democrats and, and the people who support them. It's, it's just, there's too much of it. To, it's a, it's a distraction. And, and it's like, no, it's like, no, said it's like this distraction is actually doesn't do anything, but, you know, help the right and help the ruling class. Yeah. It's a huge distraction. I, I hate to invoke this concept, but it's also a real good case of privilege. You know, at the university of Michigan, you can claim that your safe space has been invaded by watching a, a, a video from a, from an old movie that's insensitive. Um, whereas like in real world, safe spaces are being invaded, like you said, by armed police and by proud boys and by uh, crazy ass uh, supporters of my previous guests, my previous co-hosts who are now um, issuing death threats to doctors and to school board members. In Ohio, the, direct, the head of the uh, Board of Education who was appointed by a Republican recently resigned because Ohio, uh, after the George Floyd murder, passed a resolution simply saying like, you know, racism is bad. And she caught so much flack for that. She's resigned because she supported a resolution saying racism is bad. So there's no doubt this is not an equivalency, but the media, as you point out, loves to turn it into that. Right. And it's also a sense of privilege. Like I remember years ago when they kept talking about trigger warnings, right. You know, you have to warn somebody that there may be a scene in this that they won't like, or may traumatize them. 
you know, the real trigger warnings in America should come for guns, right? Because that's real. And that's, that's a problem. I mean, there are, you know, uh, uh, huge numbers. I, f- I forget the numbers of gun. I think there's like uh, something like 30 some thousand gun deaths in America every year, over 20,000 of them are suicides. And yet nobody, nobody, you know, every time there's a mass killing, we get, oh, it's about white privilege. It's about toxic masculinity. It's about the lack of religion in schools. That's about guns, you know? And so we get a lot of that. And, and, and I just think, like you said, it's a distraction. I think uh, another issue, which I'm sure will piss people off is like we're in the World Series right now and the Atlanta Braves are in it. The Atlanta Braves, the, the, the team's name is offensive. Native Americans have said that. During the games, they do this kind of tomahawk chop, this exaggerated, you know, looks like it's from a 1940s Cowboys and Indians movement, this chant. It's, it's offensive. It should definitely be gone. I mean, Major League Baseball and the Braves should discourage, do whatever they can. I'm, I would not be in favor of kicking people out of the stadium because I do believe there's a free speech issue, but it's obnoxious and it needs to go. My point here would be, however, that I have seen such an apoplectic um, response to that Whereas just what, two, three weeks ago, we were talking to you from Washington, D.C. about um, huge protests staged by indigenous peoples about pipelines. Indigenous lands right now are just being taken over for these pipelines, which are, you know, environmentally catastrophic as well. Treaty, treaty rights violated. Treaty rights violated. Now that, and, 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 you know, it got some publicity, but, you know, it, was, it had a short shelf life. The Washington Post, I think, was the only main major media to cover it like in some detail because it happened in Washington but even on the left I mean uh it doesn't compare to what we're seeing about the Atlanta Braves and again I mean we're not we are not apologizing for the Braves or for the Tom Ox chant or any of that kind of stuff but um I think it's okay to 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 prioritize things and try to figure out what a strategy and what a tactic would be and you know the basic response not just from the right but from a lot of people is like, you know, come on, it's 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 a chant or it's a, the, the Cleveland Indians used to be the Indians have changed their name this year to the Cleveland Guardians. I'm all in favor of it. I'm from that area. Got into a lot of arguments last summer with people, you know, saying, yeah, it's a good idea to get rid of the name. At the same time, you know, I do think it's OK to, to decide what you want to make your your dominant stories and the dominant themes. And, you know, call me crazy or call me a reactionary and I know just say, well, you're a white guy, you know, you're talking about this. We don't give a shit what you think. But um, I, I do think that that uh, pipelines and treaty rights uh, and the impoverishment of indigenous peoples is is more important than baseball teams. So um, and, it, and it's something I think we, we really should address. And it's, it's not to say that these issues aren't important. But now, also, and I think you read this because I think you sent it to me or I sent it to you, but did Cornell West recently kind of caught some hell, right? Uh, Howard University, the kind of almost, you know, I guess you could almost consider it kind of like the Harvard of African-American HBCUs, you know, um, has decided to disband its Department of Classics, uh, the great, the great, the canon of the great white men, right? And um, Cornell West, who I would argue is the uh, most esteemed African-American scholar in the country, I mean, kind of uh, in the tradition of, I mean, the greats, Du Bois, James Cone, uh, you know, people like that um, has spoken out against it. And yeah, I don't we want to get him on the show if anyone has a if any, If any of you know uh, Cornell West out there and have a connection, we will, uh, we'll, 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 we'll pay our, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll do something. We'll send you postcards. We'll send you, we'll send postcards. you postcards and, 
and we'll have you on as a guest. Uh, but anyway, um, I don't know if you, if you read that spot. I know you've been really busy and had a lot going on, but I don't know if you were able to read his uh, op-ed on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that, you know, Professor West makes the, the really important point is to like, if we're going to, you know, function in society as it currently exists, then, you know, being, I, being educated on the classics, on the canon, uh, is, is going to be an important component in dealing, in fighting these like institutions, you know, that are, that are rooted in racism or colonialism or, or capitalism or whatever. And, you know, he also, he doesn't say don't, you know, you know, that, you know, non-classics shouldn't be taught or anything along those lines. He just makes a point is like, we need to be, you know, we need to be like, we, we need to have like a, a kind of bigger and deeper understanding of this of society as it is today in order to combat, you know, these terrible isms. And I, and I, and, and I think that's a, I think that's an important point. I think it's, it's, you know, it's akin to the sort of like book banning and the banning of critical race theory that the right does. It's like, we, we need to, we need to have an understanding of what Plato said or what, you know, or what, uh, you know, George Eliot said, et cetera. Yeah, the um, the op ed in the Washington Post, which I, I assume is probably I don't know if it's public available for you to subscription, but um, you know he opens by talking about Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King, two of the other. You know, so, I mean, there's a if you want to make a, a the A list of African American intellectuals, obviously they'd be on it. And Douglass um, talked about how important it was for him to read like Socrates and Cicero and Cato, and and King uh, reread Socrates before he wrote. A letter from a Birmingham jail. And um, yeah, Cornel West isn't saying you should teach it, this, get rid of it. He said you should add to it. I mean, in Virginia, um, the Republicans may very well win the governor's race there in a couple of days for lots of reasons. For the Democrats of their infinite wisdom are running a guy who's already been governor twice, who was a huge fundraiser for the Clintons, right? So uh, that's them. They go, you know, future to the back or whatever you want to call it. They're, you know, they're still... They're still in the 90s, but at any rate, well, one of they're the also acting like they're running the, the recall election in California, too, like yeah. a month from a month ago. The, but one of the issues there has become critical race theory because a white woman has said her son was traumatized because they made him read Toni Morrison's Beloved. Right. So one mother in Virginia now gets to decide, I guess, you know what the curriculum is. And so, I mean, Cornell West and these people, obviously, that's insane. Right. You can't do that. But the right takes that and says, see, they're going to get rid of all the classics and make you read this stuff, right? And I mean, they're insane. They're just the stuff they do, it's, it's incomprehensible, right? But um, uh, Wes says some stuff, which I think is, is, is really powerful. And I just want to kind of read uh, a little bit about it. The Western canon is, more than anything, a conversation among great thinkers over generations that goes richer the more we add our own voices and the excellence of voices from Africa, Asia, Latin America, and everywhere else in the world. We should never cancel voices in this conversation, whether that voice is Homer. I'm assuming he means the Greek, not Simpson, but I would put Homer Simpson in that as one of the great white he belongs in the too. canon for sure. He belongs in the canon too. Or students at Howard. This is no ordinary discussion, right? Um, and then this is this is, I think, you know, kind of the part that I really found very, very powerful and important. Howard University is not removing its classic department in isolation. This is the result of a massive failure across the nation in schooling, which you put some quotation marks, which is now nothing more than the acquisition of skills, the acquisition 
acquisition of labels and the acquisition of jargon. Schooling is not education. Education draws out the uniqueness of people to be all they can be in the light of their irreducible singularity. It is the maturation and cultivation of spiritually intact and morally equipped human beings. And I, I hate to compare these two, but uh, Cornell West is almost kind of saying what James Carville said about six months ago when he talked about faculty lounge jargon. And I think we are, unfortunately, and I'm, this is my world, and it's, it's, it's not an easy place to live. Um, you know, you really, you know, uh, have to, to, you know, the other day I, I was ranting and raving in class about Texas, you know, banning books and things like that. And, you know, using critical race theory as this BS excuse, you know, and a student said, well, is there anything you wouldn't allow, you know, to be taught in class? Like, well, you have to be sensitive to young kids, obviously, but, you know, there are classes which teach, um, you know, uh, I mean, for a lot of people, reading the Communist Manifesto is triggering or it's not a safe space, right? So I'm, I'm pretty, you know, open. I mean, you know, you shouldn't be teaching seventh graders, having seventh graders read books with graphic examples in them or something like that. But yeah, for the most part, I would err on the side of letting them be exposed to these ideas. I mean, I always tell my students part of coming to college is to learn different things and occasionally get jolted. And I think that's what, what um, I think, you know, uh, would agree with that. Uh, Cornell West would agree with that. Um, I mean, when you were in college, were there any, I mean, you know, you kind of read pretty much what you wanted, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, they assigned, I, my freshman, you know, freshman English, we read like Autobiography of Malcolm X. We, we, we read everything from you know, some Greek classics uh, to the Autobiography of Malcolm X and I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. And I mean, it was, a, it was an important spectrum but within within classics of of to have a better understanding of how society works. I mean, I I'm a, I'm a big believer in the reason that we take humanities and social science classes is to have critical thinking and to you know have have an understanding of what's going on around us and why. Yeah, and and unfortunately, I mean, like we said, I think there's there's another big issue on the left here, which is about tactics and strategy. And people, I think, tend to act uh, kind of uh, very spontaneously on issues like this. And they go to Twitter. I mean, I, I don't read HuffPost, but my Facebook feed is filled with HuffPost articles, which just thrive on this stuff. You know, they live, they live for it. And so you get the idea that every college student out there, I mean, this is happening for the most part of places like Michigan and Dartmouth and Oberlin. And, you know, it really, at the University of Houston, I'm not terribly concerned that anybody's going to be, you know, this is a, a kind of a working class school, a lot of first generation students, but the media just jumps all over it. And there is a kind of a, a strategic and tactical issue here about what you want to, to go out there and try to rally people with. And if you really want to create a movement, and as we often say, meet people where they're at, uh, I'm not sure that, that um, banning uh, a 1965 movie and getting a professor in trouble for it is, is probably the way to go. I'm not sure if you go to Pittsburgh or, or, you know, or Detroit or Youngstown or Mobile, Alabama or Jackson, Mississippi or New Orleans, that's going to be a, a great uh, way to engage people or even, you know, as a, offensive and odious as it is, you know, I don't think most people are going to be like all that motivated to do anything politically because of the Atlanta Braves chance. And, and that's dangerous. And, you know, obviously, if we continue along these lines that, you know, basically saying it's OK to get rid of certain things. The autobiography of Malcolm X and I know why the cage birds sing are far more likely to go than pretty much anything else. And well, I mean, so, and when we talk about like 
and we had an episode on this a, a couple of months ago with Ben Burgess, but talking about cancel culture is that the real cancel culture is actually what is coming from the right. And I know you have a couple of examples of that. Yeah. But, oh, yeah, absolutely. Also, I mean, you know, anti if people who post anti-Zionist, anti-Israel things are are targeted a lot, right? That is Lynn, the Lynn most, Cheney is being yeah. Lynn Cheney is being targeted. Her 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 you know advisors are being targeted for working with her by Kevin McCarthy by the right. Yeah. Yeah, I would say actually Israel without a doubt is is the most uh, contentious issue. I felt it personally. You were here, you know, in, in 2002, I had a, a radio show on Pacifica and um, the people at Pacifica at KPFT here had the, the Jewish consulate, the, the Israeli consulate gave them their own show called Jewish Voices. And it was just reprehensible. And I came on after them. This is These were during the uh, massacres at Janine during the second Intifada. And I made a comment about it and I just got vilified and attacked. No one at Pacifica stood up for me, including St. Amy Goodman. So I kind of, you know, and that's nothing. I mean, I'm a professor. That was just a side gig that I wasn't getting paid for. But I saw it firsthand. That's you, you don't want to mess with Israel. If, if you want to get like literally canceled, look at Stephen Salada, a very well-known professor, was hired at the University of Illinois. Some of his old tweets resurfaced and uh, big money donors uh, made the university get rid of him. Right. So that's, yeah, without a doubt, um, if you want to go after cancel culture, that would be where you start BDS, criticizing Israel, supporting Palestine. That's by far the, the most dangerous thing you can do uh, in, in public life. I mean, look at the way they're going after uh, some of these, these uh, the few members of Congress who had the integrity to vote against, you know, AOC, you know, even wouldn't even vote. She, she just said presence, right? So yeah, I mean, when we get started on this, it's a right wing thing. It's CRT, it's Israel. But um, it has become like the the uh, excuse given. And so a couple really disturbing things happened this week. The first, more minor, the second, big. Uh, in Florida, there is a court case about DeSantis's handling of um, the, uh, the uh, what you call it, uh, COVID crisis, right? And so um, professors from the University of Florida who are experts in public health were scheduled to testify. Professors testify in court cases all the time as expert witnesses. I've never done it. I've been, I've been approached and I just didn't like, have the skills that they needed, right? But it just happens all the time. The University of Florida has explicitly said that its professors are not allowed to testify in court against the state of Florida, right? And essentially they, were, they weren't really hiding it. They said, you know, we, they're the people who fund us. So we don't want to piss them off, right? And so um, this is obviously disturbing because there are real questions. I mean, this is a state university. You have free expression, First Amendment issues. This, you know, it's like the, uh, those women at, at uh, uh, Collin College who we talked to, Susan Statler-Jones has filed a lawsuit. Now Laura Burnett has filed a lawsuit against them. Uh, and this is happening now, you know, in, in a lot of places. Um, where uh, simply by, you know, tweeting something or saying something, you're in peril. And what's happening here is a million times worse than uh, what's happening at the University of Michigan. Yet, you know, we have a professor at the University of Michigan who survived the cultural, who survived the cultural revolution, whose job is now in peril for showing a clip. And, you know, uh, it's, they're not equivalent. And yet the outcomes are far too similar, I think, for my taste. But um, so that's, that's disturbing. And I think you're going to see this more and more universities, you know, um, I know Scott studied SDS and I think 
people don't realize that SDS got started actually kind of as as a as as a critique of the university as much as anything else. You know, kind of the nuclear society, but also the university. And one of the seminal move in, incidents there was the, the free speech movement, right, out in your part of the world. Yep. Uh, you know, the, in the Port Heron statement, I guess the revised version, not the original, <laughs> you know, non-sellout version. Right, um, right. For people who get that reference. Yeah, yeah. Uh, extra points if you get the reference. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, they, they, they're real critical about how the university was turning students into consumers, how the, the corporatization of, the, of, of campus, how, you know, companies, and like, this is still a thing today. It, 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 we're at the point now where people don't even talk about it or notice anymore, but like, you know, you know, the defense industry and the petrochemical industry, all of these, you know, corporate, corporate entities put money into research, R&D, you know, all of that into the university, which, you know, the, the uh, Port Huron statement came out in 1960. To um, 1962, and you know, and and then by the time we get into the Vietnam War, it's like they're they're running on the high because they're actually doing a lot of re research and development, which is leading to bombs and chemicals and things being dropped on the Vietnamese people. Um, and so, and then here in Berkeley, just not far away from where I am right now, uh, we had a, an uprising around the free speech movement, which was actually pushing back on that corporatization, that consumerization of, of campus and students. And, you know, that, that kind of ties back into what we're talking about today is that they want students to be good, what they would say is good citizens, but what they really want them to be is good consumers and good corporate citizens um, and go get jobs working for JP Morgan Chase or Exxon or, or what have you, but not be one who is questioning authority, questioning questioning this, the status quo, because the status quo has, you know, evolved into where the world is literally on fire here in California, where people are drowning in other parts of the world, where police and military are gunning down people who are, you know, pushing back, or just they don't, you know, fit into a certain, certain, like, mode that society deems as acceptable. So, um, in the 19th, oh, God, I'm sorry. The, the one last thing I'll say is that, is that any professor's you know, who are teaching anything out of the status quo or are, are being systematically targeted in different ways, sometimes policy-wise, like lack of, you know, taking away tenure, sometimes as individuals who are like critical of, you know, these, you know, these conservative institutions. Yeah, they're also like these, these insane right-wing groups like, Char what's the one with Charlie Kirk and Candace Owen who are, wow, I mean, crazy doesn't begin, but they're like, actually, they have like, hit list on the media professors they don't like uh some of these people and are david going. and david horowitz did that in the previous you know <laughs> who used but, to be a stalinist right yeah 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 but you know like it, it, i'm a history prof right in the 50s um the world was kind of captivated by this idea of modernization to go into the third world and bring it like industrialization and reform and all that kind of stuff universities had a major role to play and like probably the best known and if you've ever read anything about vietnam or studied it you've probably heard of the michigan state group Michigan State was given huge government contracts to send people to southern Vietnam, right, where they train the police and where they help train the government. Of the, I mean, these guys actually helped set up the apparatus for the repression in the South. We've probably all heard of the low Chicago. Many of us at least have heard of the low Chicago boys, right? Went down to Chile. And just a plug here, don't forget to listen, if you haven't yet, to our great show with uh, our comrade from Oz, Clinton Fernandez, about the Chile. 
Um, but the other but eyes, so the, the other eyes, the other eyes, the good eyes, right? Uh, about um, so the universities, I mean, have had a huge role in this. Few people know this because Dwight Eisenhower's farewell address is is well known as it should be for his um, warnings about the military-industrial complex. But go read it. He also talks about the universities. And he said, um, government contracts have become a replacement for the pursuit of free expression. The Eisenhower would be like part of the squad today, you know, <laughs> I favorite, you know, support of unions, all that kind of stuff. Right. But it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, and so in, in Berkeley, you know, when I was out a couple of years ago for your wedding, you know, uh, with with Dirty Pete or just Pete. I don't know what he is now, but uh, shout out to Pete, uh, who we need to get on, by the way. Um, but, um, you know, He's in the scared. library there, what's I? He's too scared to go live with his opinions. <laughs> but in the library, there was very touching. I, I got choked up because there's a, a tribute to Mario Savio in there, who is, um, you know, really famous. I, I, this is, you know, October is Italian American Heritage Month. So I've been on Facebook putting up a different Italian or group of Italians every day. And Mario Savio was obviously one of them. But the president of California, Clark Kerr, um, talked about what he called the multiversity, not the university, but the multiversity, right? And part of the multiversity was an explicit approach toward going out and working with the state, the Department of Defense, the CIA, USA, whoever, to create expertise, right? And, and as part of that, when universities and public education in general went for funding in the 50s and 60s, there was an explicit military connection to it. So, you know, like in order to get more money for education in the 50s, it became like the Army Mathematics Act, right? And the idea there was, you know, after Sputnik, especially, we need to train people, you know. And so that's why, you know, the humanities has never been anywhere near as important or funded. And people in the humanities are targeted, obviously, far more than people who can end up working for the Pentagon or the military industrial complex. And, and during that free speech um, protest, Mario Savio just gave one of the most poignant and powerful uh, uh, talk, you know, like speeches ever. I play it in class, you know, in 19, in 2021, it doesn't hit the same way, you know, but he says, you know, there comes a time when the, uh, the operations of the machine become so odious, make you so sick at heart, you have to throw your body on the gears and, and make it stop. And, and that's the moment where we are now, but instead of doing that, you have students kind of, snitching or complaining about safe spaces, which I don't know if you have anything else to say about that leads to, I think the most frightening, this is like, this is really a scary Halloween thing, but Georgia, which is an odd place, right? It has two, you know, relatively moderate liberal, whatever you want to call them, senators, uh, has, but it's also run by Republicans who Trump hates and who actually have stood up to him. It's a, it's a weird place, right? It's, uh, but um, Georgia now is moving to remove tenure. They want to be able to get rid of professors without faculty input based on really nebulous standards. If you're in academia, um, you'll often hear the phrase, you know, not a good fit and not a good fit or collegiality tend to be um, ways to get rid of people you don't like. Uh, it's hard to get rid of people with tenure as it should be. I mean, tenure, the idea of tenure is to protect you from people like that, right? And as somebody who's been on the receiving end, I've tried to organize unions on campus. I've written a, a lot of stuff in the school papers about the, the university administrators and the presidents and, 
you know, I, um, I'm Italian, so I tend to, to say things kind of like Homer. I don't really think about them. I just say them, right? So plus, Homer Simpson. Organizing anti-war rallies and anti-corporate globalization, you know. Well, you were there. Remember um, like the yeah. day the war in 2003, the day the war against Iraq began. Like you have to, universities now have free speech zones. So if you want to have a rally, you have to get a permit ahead of time. And there are only certain areas. So the war began. So I, I remember that day we got a hold of a microphone and we just went in front of the library and, and we probably had six, 700 people there. And uh, I, I don't know if I still have it, but I remember getting my reprimand from the university because I had violated uh, various things, including I didn't get a permit for it and I was not in a free speech zone. So I, I was kind of actually kind of proud of that. But yeah, this is the way it's done now. And this is what, and the thing is, they've kind of convinced people this is the way it should be. And so Georgia, which is really the only, I mean, no one else, no other state. And you know, Texas is right behind. You know, Texas is probably going to do this next week because anytime Texas you know, doesn't do, isn't the first state to do something like incredibly, insanely reactionary, batshit crazy. They're going to double down, right? So I'm sure they're going to do this like really quickly and it's going to be way worse. But in Georgia, um, you know, you can just basically dismiss people now without really any kind of cause. Um, it's, it's an outlier. Professors associations, the AUP is, is upset about it. Uh, the Board of Regents, you know, uh, unanimously voted for it. But this is, you want to talk about a, uh, Kind of a bizarre nonsensical orwellian explanation this is from a spokesperson for the state of georgia system lance wallace the goals of the changes are to support career development for all faculty as well as ensure continued accountability and continued strong performance from faculty members after they've achieved tenure right uh ultimately we all have the same goal <laughs> so uh it's, it's pretty crazy stuff. Um, there won't be any peer review in this. Um, you know, generally getting rid of a professor according to AUP regulations is not easy. It's a long process. It takes a while. Georgia has just streamlined it to like, you know, if, if the dean doesn't want you, you're gone. We're not talking about people who aren't tenure. It's, it's actually pretty easy to get rid of somebody who doesn't have tenure. You just deny them tenure. I mean, that happens with more regularity than I think people know. But now we're talking about people who are tenured, right? I have, a, I have a kind of bigger picture thing to say about this. Sure. Yeah, I mean, we actually were talking- We don't, we don't censor here at, at Green and Red Podcast. You can say we're, we were talking about. a little bit ago about the left not having a strategy. Well, was, I think the right does. And the right actually, especially particularly in these Sunbelt states, Florida, Georgia, Texas, Arizona, they're, they're actually really seeing the writing on the wall about how you know demographics are shifting, younger people are-, are way more to the left than they used to be. It's a lot of immigration. Uh, and then, you know, in these urban areas, whether it's Miami or Atlanta or Houston or Phoenix is, you know, the trend is shifting way more to liberal perspectives. We could, we could say the Democrats, but, you know, it's also what's given us Kristen Sinema. But, um, you know, their strategy is to try and contain that. And so, you know, we see voting rights, uh, restrictions being passed. We see prisons being built out in these states. We're seeing things like this, where they're, you know, working to deny, you know, to do away with tenure on campus. I'm sure this tenure, this tenure thing is going to happen in Texas and Florida and states like that next, right? And so they, they realize that they are going to, it's increasingly becoming, and I'm not being cute with this expression, an apartheid state, and they, they're trying to hold on to power as much as they can. And so it's just like a kind of important thing to 
kind of like realizes that they actually, this is a plan. They actually have, it's a strategy that they've probably had since the seventies or something, probably longer, but oh, I, just wanna, I just want to point out that there's a strat, they have a strategy and that we on the left, and this is like one thing we like to promote on green and red is like, you know, we, we don't just like to complain about the left. We also like to point out, it's like, it would be great if there was a strategy on the left to be able to counter some of this, because we actually do have the numbers and we do actually have the power. Yeah. We just don't have a, enough of a plan. It seems like so. No, I think uh, talking about scary, uh, the 1960s scared the hell out of the university administrators, politicians and others, because you had students, you know, like the free speech movement, like Mario Savio, like SDS, like <clears throat> anti-war mood, move, uh, movements, like Kent State, which we did a, a great show on, uh, on the 50th anniversary in, in May of, of 2020. That terrified professors because students were actually going out there and using, you know, like their imaginations and creativity and, uh, you know, learning things, not just being taught. I mean, you know, I'm a professor of history and, and, you know, I've always wanted history to become like really important in American life. And now it is, but unfortunately it's because of Trump and these crazy, you know, uh, what was it? The 1776 commission, all that kind of shit. And, you know, so they're using history as this counter, you know, liberatory force, which is unfortunate. They're weaponizing right? it. Right. They're wet. Absolutely. And then, you know, you're right. The left has no strategy. I mean, the Italian right in the 70s had a, a strategy, which it called like constant friction or constant tension. I can't remember what, which is to constantly keep pressure on the state. Well, that's what the right wing in America does. Nothing is too small to go after. So one student in Virginia is traumatized by a Tory Moore, Tony Morrison novel. And that actually becomes like maybe one of the more important issues in the entire governor's race. Right. And you have, you know, a professor fired at, at more than one professor fired at Collin College. Uh, and part of the reason they gave for firing uh, uh, Susan Staler Jones was she had signed uh, an article saying you should take down Confederate statues. She signed it and she said, call in college. Right now, we've said this before in the show. When you do that, I've signed a million things. You, it says for identification purposes only. Right. But she was against Confederate statues, just like NASCAR, just like, you know, would ban the flag, just like the Joint Chiefs of Staff, which uh, got rid of Confederate base names. Right. And, and so they're firing her, you know, she's going to court right now. And so the left has to understand that, you know, if you have an issue with what, you know, a professor showing a film clip, that's fine. Talk about it. Like, that's no longer part of the, you know, like I remember as a kid, you know, like when I was in college, like if you had a problem, you talk, to, talk to the professor. I tell my students all the time, you got a problem, talk to me, you know, and, and that's no longer, you know, it's consumption society. University is a poorly run corporation. It's a consumer corporation. And now if you don't get the satisfaction you want, you go to the, you ask for the manager, right? I want to see the manager and you don't talk to the professor or, or anything like that. You know, um, it's, it's really scary. And, you know, uh, I'm not gonna, uh, universities are flawed. I, you know, if you're on the inside, you probably see it more than anybody. And I'm certainly not going to say that everybody should go to college and I'm not going to look down on people who don't or anything like that. But you know, universities are important for inculcating people with different kinds of ideas and different kinds of uh, ways to look at things critically and different points of view. And, you know, and especially now when a world where people Google stuff and you have algorithms determining what you get to see and people are making decisions and learning history based on memes, um, these attacks on the universities are really frightening. And, and I think that, you know, attacking people for showing a, a film clip from 1965 that's insensitive or getting rid of an entire department of classics um, is really feeding into that. And it's playing into the hands of people who don't have your interests. And, 
you know, it's not a slippery slope argument per se, but it's just, it's a way for them to, to, to change the narrative and go after you. And they're just much better at it. They're just, the right wing is, is much better. You know, I, somebody the other day said something like, you know, why are you always attacking cinema and mansion? Why don't you go after the Republicans? It's like, cause if I went down the hell, I wouldn't tell everybody Satan was evil. Like everybody knows it, that he would, that says he wants to be right. The GOP knows what they are. They're obstructed. They don't hide it. So you have to kind of clean up your own house because that's the barrier to it. And, you know, having these, these, these things with, with, you know, where Cornell West, you know, even so this is jargon and we really need to get away from this. We need to be educated and not just go there to acquire skills you think are going to help you, which anymore, I mean, like I think half college graduates are in jobs that really don't require, you know, college degrees. We have a systemic crisis now with capitalism and employment and, and universities are, are really feeding into that. I mean, students are, you know, one point, what is it? $1.6 trillion in student debt now. So we have an indebted uh, group of, of young people um, who are getting degrees and which are no longer really guaranteeing them, uh, you know, any kind of really decent future. Um, higher ed is like that. I think something like three fourths of professed classes now are taught by contingent professors, which means professors who aren't tenured, who are maybe visiting profs or adjuncts or grad students or, or whatever. And there are strike. We had a, we had a, what was that? One of our first shows ever was on the strike in the UC system, grad students. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a scary, I mean, this is what scares me. UC Santa Halloween. Cruz. UC Santa Cruz. Yeah. So, I, and this scares me on Halloween more than vampires and ghosts. It's, it's uh, the way the right is determining and dominating intellectual discourse and are just absolutely dominating it. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> all as scary as your your the guest host earlier yeah well, i don't know about anything scarier than that but <laughs> uh so the the other thing as we're kind of moving towards the end of this part of the segment is that we still have a, a love them their liberals segment and if we're ready to shift over to that um, yep um so for the weekend review uh, you know, just some updates. We'll, we'll still be doing these from time to time. We're also going to be putting them on the audio platform. And then we, we, we get a lot of kicks out of doing the love them, you're a liberal, love them, they're liberals sort of uh, uh, segment. Cause it's, it's an opportunity for us to, you know, vent and, and gripe and rant, et cetera. Um, and so I'm going to do the one today, which is Sorry, I kept hitting mute there. Um, many people probably enjoyed that. Um, the person we're gonna talk about today is not necessarily a liberal. He was often classified as a, as a liberal Republican, but um, it, it's uh, you know General Colin Powell, former chair of the Joint Chiefs. He was secretary of state um, and you know he passed away. We didn't get to talk about it because we didn't do a week in review last week, but we didn't uh, so we didn't talk about it, but I kind of wanted to just kind of bring it up because I think it was a, it was an important thing. Um, Colin Powell, um, there's a couple of different pieces I'm going to talk about when we talk about Colin Powell. One is his military career, and then I'm going to talk about his career within, you know, some of the institutions of power, like namely the White House. One, he was actually a major uh, during the Vietnam War and actually did a whole lot to cover up the Vilay Massacre. Uh, when you actually look back and look at 
the story of what happened with the Mille massacre, where you know a, 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 a company of Marine was it Marines or Army? Army. Army, uh, an army company actually massacred something like 200 civilians. Charlie Company. Yeah. Charlie Company in, in Vietnam. Um, and we've talked about this on the show a little bit because we've talked actually about some of the heroes of the day of Miele. Colin Powell is not one of those people. He actually did everything he could to cover that up and kind of prevent it from getting out. Um, and so that was, he, I believe he was an army major at the time when he did that. Um, and then just to fast forward a little bit to the 80s, Colin Powell was actually the director of national security advisor in the Reagan White House. And this was actually like kind of like mid to late eighties. He, he had this position. Uh, he was a general by this point, but he was actually the deputy, na the deputy national security advisor. And this is a period when Reagan was very much deep, deep, deeply entrenched in the, in the Central America wars and the Contra wars. And so there was like a lot of policy that led to like the massacre of like tens of thousands of, Nicaraguans, Salvadorans, uh, Hondurans, Guatemalans. And so, you know, Powell's fingerprints were all over that. Um, Powell also then went on to become the chair of the Joint Chiefs. Uh, he was the chair of the Joint Chiefs during the, uh, during Desert Storm in 91, which was also a pretty uh, brutal massacre in many ways of Iraqis. Um, and then the, the sort of big thing that, I think he'll be most, which I actually think he'll be most remembered for, hopefully he'll be most remembered for, um, was uh, he became George W. Bush's Secretary of State. Um, and he famously went up in front of the United Nations and uh, made a pitch for the invasion of Iraq in 2003. I'm gonna actually show a video from this. Um, share with you when combined with what all of us have learned over the years is deeply troubling what you will see is an accumulation of facts and disturbing patterns of behavior the facts and iraqi's behavior iraq's behavior demonstrate that saddam hussein and his regime have made no effort no effort to disarm as required by the international community. Indeed, the facts and Iraq's behavior show that Saddam Hussein and his regime are concealing their efforts to produce more weapons of mass destruction. None of this should come as a surprise to any of us. Terrorism has been a tool used by Saddam for decades. Saddam was a supporter of terrorism long before these terrorist networks had a name. And this support continues. The nexus of poisons and terror is new. The nexus of Iraq and terror is old. The combination. So this, you know, this, this goes on and on, uh, this speech. But this is the argument that Powell made for the Bush administration to uh, invade Iraq. It's, this is what, you know, basically... cleared the air with the international community, even though a lot of members of the international community still opposed it and kind of fought back against it. But like the Bush administrators put up the most known prestigious member of its administration to kind of make this argument. You can actually see the CIA director, George Tenet, for those of you who saw the video, who are watching this on video behind him as like a sort of like 
in a, in a support role to like, this is, this is true. And so Powell basically just went up and told a whole bunch of lies. Um, it's kind of been reflected back on that Powell actually knew that he was lying. Um, and that has led to, you know, these devastating wars in the Middle East. It's led to the rise of ISIS. It's led to the, you know, it, it led to the meltdown in, meltdown in not just Iraq, but also Syria. And it's also just kind of turned the Middle East into like a much more dangerous place. And then here we are like 20, almost 20 years later, and it's still, um, you know, it's just a disaster. And, and a lot of it is because of Powell. Um, but the next phase I'm actually going to talk about with Powell, which is people, you know, don't talk about as much is that Powell then had a little bit of, uh, he left the administration. And then when Obama ran in 2008, he came out and endorsed Obama in 2008, which was like a big moment. He, he endorsed as, as someone who announced that he was a Republican, a black Republican, um, that he, that he, then he came out and endorsed Obama over McCain. He also endorsed Obama in 2012. Uh, but also what he did during that period is he, he was a bit of a, a defender and apologist for Obama's uh, you know, drone assassination program. He was, a, he was a defender of a lot of Obama's you know, defense and national security policies, former, for, foreign policy interventions, et cetera. And so um, partially because he was a liberal black Republican who came up in the Republican party, partially because of his support of the Obama administration's policies, you know, he, he's very much a darling of the, of the liberal establishment. You know, we, we actually uh, jokingly often talk about the liberal resistance to Trump, which, you know, has expanded to include Mitt Romney and Dick Cheney and uh, lots of these other like horrible Republicans. But like Colin Powell in the early, was, it was the early member of that sort of liberal resistance. Yeah. Uh, and so I just want to kind of like point that out. And so that's why we're uh, tagging him in our love on their liberals uh, segment this week. Well, and tag and looping back to the stuff we talked about earlier, uh, which I think is, you know, kind of the real issue here. I mean, Colin Powell is who he is, and he did actually show some consternation later. But the real issue is the way the liberals uh, dealt with him when he died. It reminded me of John McCain's when John McCain died, how everybody was talking about what a great guy he was and, and all that kind of stuff. But um Going Cornell West, who we mentioned earlier, and a, a, a scholar named Walter Ben Michaels have written a lot of stuff about diversity. And, and this is a good example of that because Powell represents that at its zenith, right? This is diversity, but what we have is a diversity- it's Woke empire, right? It's woke empire, right? You don't have a diversity of ideas and ideologies. So, you know, uh, as, as you know, uh, Michaels and Cornell West always point out, a lot of liberals will be happy if the 1% reflected uh, a demographic breakdown of the way the world was structured. So you would have X number of white uh, Europeans and X number of Asians and X number of uh, Africans and so forth, right? And, and so, I mean, no one's against diversity, obviously, but into itself, um, it's, it, it, be, it can become just kind of a, an exercise in mathematics. And Colin Powell clearly fit into that. He was put forth, uh, um, you know, I mean, smart guy, knew what he was talking about, uh, but he became kind of the, the uh, epitome of diversity. And as I often point out, I, maybe it's changed since then, but the most diverse cabinet ever um, at that point in time was George Bush's. He had uh, Condoleezza Rice and, and Colin Powell uh, his attorney general was Hispanic, um, you know, so. Alberto uh, Gonzalez from Humble, Humble Texas. Uh, oh, he's from Humble. That's right. Um, 
Well, Ted Cruz is from Houston, so boy, we, I'm, in a, I'm in a great area. But uh, um, Rafael Cruz, right? Uh, but but I think we need to kind of be more cognizant that there's more to it than that, and and so um, there are these elements of power which I think the left doesn't understand the way it should, or at least liberals don't understand the way they should. And uh, the issue of diversity, you know, should be more nuanced than simply, uh, you know, Colin Powell is an example of how great America is, you know, which is really kind of really, I mean, that was like that big point of his obituaries was, you know, the first, and that's important, you know, I'm not going to downplay that, but at the same time, um, you know, and like, like Obama was the first, I think, um, black editor of the Harvard Law Review, wasn't he? So you know, uh, I, I'd rather point out like the first chair of the Black Panther Party or, you know, something like that. So at any rate, um, yeah, Powell and the, the liberals had a love affair with Colin Powell and just like they did with John McCain, just like they now do with George Bush, right? Bush is a painter, right? And, and so, or Meghan McCain or whatever, you know, so it's pretty easy. Liberal, I mean, the GOP, is on a scorched earth policy, unless you're like totally in line with the most insane elements of that. Whereas the Democrats just throw people over, you know, throw people overboard, like, you know, Katie Hill or, or, you know, whomever. So it's, it's a scary time. You know, we were not, we were the voices of reason in the Trump last year of the Trump regime, right? It's going to be okay. But I think a lot of people, you know, once Trump lost, took that to mean, oh, we're good now. Whereas no, I think, I think actually now the scary part begins. And it's Halloween. So, you know, uh, I'm not a big advocate of panic and fear as strategies, but <laughs> I think it wouldn't be a bad idea if people went out there and organized and created autonomous or, um, you know, groups and shut down traffic and did something. Uh, because if not, um, you're going to have President Tom Cotton, who I would find actually way more scary than, than or Ron DeSantis. Um, on DeSantis or yeah, whoever is just way more scary than Trump. So um, I hope we've scared people enough today. It's, it's Halloween. I'm not a big Halloween guy. I don't dress up or anything like that. Today I'm going as a, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, a, a professor who, you know, you know, just like likes to rant and rave about things. A, a loudmouth professor is someone once called me. So that's my, my Halloween stick. And instead of giving out candy, I'm going to give out advice. So, uh. <laughs> I'm going as I'm going as uh, this guy right here. For those of you who are listening, it's the face of Donald Trump floating next to my head. Yeah, again, Berkeley that that might get you canceled in Berkeley. Yeah, that's uh, true. That's true. Uh, unless we have to turn it into like a pinata or something. <laughs> um, folks, you've been listening to the Green and Red podcast. Uh, talking Postcards. about talking about the issues of the day. Check out. Um, Bob, for those of you who are just listening, we have a whole lot of postcards that we've been putting out. I actually just did a world tour of New York and Washington, D.C. and other parts of the world, handing them out. If you want some, you can email us at greenredpodcast at gmail. Uh, and if you like what you're hearing and you want to share it, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you're watching this on YouTube, definitely hit that subscribe button. The subscriptions have been going up a little bit lately. And then uh, if you like what we're saying and you want to contribute more than just liking and sharing, and we appreciate that from everyone who does that. But if you want to become a patron, check us out at patreon.com backslash green podcast, or go to our website and make a one-time donation at, um, and by hitting that support button. 
and yeah. all the ways to do that will be there. And we've gotten some donations there lately too. And want to really shout out all the appreciation. We're, we're small and we're scrappy. Um, we're going up against, you know, the worldwide media empires and we're saying shit that they don't want to hear. So, you know, become a patron or make a donation. Also thanks mm -hmm. to the, all the patrons. And we've had a bunch of patrons, big, big push on patrons lately. So yeah. And fight back. It's okay to be tough. I mean, we're, we're, we've, we've got some uh, pretty scary enemies out there. So fight back, be tough. Yeah. Question and, authority. Uh, question authority and uh, think globally and guillotine locally. See? 